Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 140 with my friend, Lizzie Donaldson. We are back, season five, and this is quite a season opener. I'm super excited about this. Uh, Lizzie is a writer, or former writer from Blackish, the show that you all know and love. Uh, she worked on a number of other projects that we talk about a little bit, but not too much because we don't want to piss anybody off um, from the WGA because that is another big topic that we discuss. And the reason that I wanted to really open strong with this is the writer's strike um, that is continuing to go on in Hollywood. And I, I we, you know, we dive into it. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. We, we get into it, but uh, hopefully at the end of this, anyone that is not, you know, in Hollywood or directly involved has a better understanding of what's going on and how, how it's really affecting uh, everybody in, in a way. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I had such a good conversation and it's such a fun time. I will talk to you at the end of the episode, but until then season five, we're back. And here's my friend, Lizzie. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? I appreciate you being open to the concept and, and talking about yourself and diving in. Um, and that's typically where I start. Well, I typically start with how I know people. Can we figure this out real quick? Did we figure it out? Yes. Is it just... I I um yeah so I got real I think it's just from I thought I saw you I wonder if Open Road Pittsburgh like reposted something from you because yeah. I follow them they've done yeah, a lot and, of stuff I, with me over yeah the years. so I got into like non-alcoholic beers during the pandemic during 2020 okay. um just uh, in an effort to try and be healthier as I drank alone in my apartment and just like <laughs> I uh, started and, and the craft beer uh, non-alcoholic beer scene was really taking off and still yeah. is um, and I think I probably saw your profile and was like, this guy knows stuff. I should follow him. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a, so I, I think I mentioned this in the email, but I, I write for a sober magazine. Um, I do mm -hmm. non-alcoholic beer reviews and yeah. that has skyrocketed throughout the pandemic um, and continues to do so. Like you said, I think we've reached like a plateau though. There's a, I don't know if you know Two Roots Brewing, cause they used to be in California mm -hmm. and then they moved all yeah. their distribution uh, over here to Michigan. And then they just closed down, which is a real bummer. Oh, gosh. Oh, um, it's such a bummer. Yeah. And one of my affiliate programs with another brewery, they canceled the affiliate program or like indefinitely paused it. So uh, I think oh, we oversaturated we the market. Out. We maxed out. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how uh, that pans out. But I'm excited actually to go to Open Road. Um, well, like 12 hours from now, I'll be right in now? a car on the way to Pittsburgh. So. And where, where are you now? You're in I'm Michigan? in Michigan. Yeah. Like an uh, hour north Detroit. Um, oh great! My fiance is from Battle Creek. Oh okay. I yeah, Battle Creek's over in the west side, but That's, yeah, I just don't. Yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. Just, the, the west side of Michigan's where it's at. Is it's, it? Yeah, because Lake Michigan's got like sandy beaches, and it's so big that it can feel like ocean beaches without the salt. Um, so that's nice, but yeah. Yeah, and I say that as someone that has lived in California, so it's not just me being like, no, no, Midwestern lakes. It's just <laughs> nah, like <laughs> Western Michigan for sure. That's where it's at. Where you want a holiday? Yeah, um, it's that's not so bad though. Battle Creek is definitely not on the coast. Um, no, no. <laughs> but <laughs> I digress. Uh, so non-alcoholic beers, then that that's the connection. Yes. Okay. I, I think so. I keep be, looking down because yeah. I I grabbed one 
This is nice. Best, best day, day brewing. brewing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which they finally have some of their stuff in stock. That's the nice thing about reviewing them is a lot of these breweries send me stuff and they sent me two of theirs and I was kind of hooked. They're a really good brewery. I was like, keep sending That's so stuff. cool. Everything's always out of stock. Um, what a, what a fun um, gig though to have. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, it, it, it's good. I, I reviewed regular beers <laughs> before I quit drinking and yeah. Um, oh, okay. I was, I loved beer. Like the, the, I like the hops. I, I like stouts. And so being able to actually get all that same, all those flavor profiles, you know, without texting my ex-girlfriend at three in the morning is always a great, <laughs> great way to go. So, yes. uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really good and it's, it's been good to me and I've helped a lot of people, um, find some really great alternative choices. So yeah, been, including nice. me. <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad I could help. Um, yeah. speaking of Pittsburgh, let's, let's go, mm -hmm. let's learn about Lizzie. <laughs> Are you okay. from Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, um, uh, and I went to the university of Pittsburgh as well. So okay. I'm definitely like a, a black and gold Homer. And, um, I moved out to Los Angeles after that, um, to pursue a career in comedy television writing. Okay. Um, but yeah, Pittsburgh was great. I, I mean, you've done nothing to compare it to when you're a kid. Right. Yeah. But it has gotten much cooler since I left. I feel like there were no cool restaurants or, or bars or, or anything like that. It's always been a little bit of an artsy city and always prettier than I think people realize. Like, it's very yeah. hilly and very green and there's yes. a lot of natural water. And I don't think people uh, picture that when they think of Pittsburgh. I don't so know if I've it's... ever thought of it as artsy and I, I, now I have to explore a little more. Oh yeah. <laughs> we can, we can sidebar. My brother's an artist there. So I also okay. have a, a little bit of a, a personal in with that, but I also grew up doing um, a lot of theater and musical theater and seeing a lot of theater. So the theater scene um, especially always seemed pretty, accessible and vibrant to me and, and varied and, and had a lot of different companies that you could check out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's still the case. I think you can still see some really cool stuff. So was that, um, entertainment in, in the broad term, was that yeah. always something that was interesting to you growing up? Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, I was a big bookworm. Okay. Um, and I thought I'd write like novels and stuff. So, uh, television comedy is a little different, <laughs> but, um, maybe someday, you know, yeah. Uh, and then I got really, and I, but I was shy and, and how I became unshy was through theater camp and classes and stuff and being really into enjoying theater, which is how that always starts. So you go see, you know, I saw Peter Pan and I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I want to do that, which is just so unlike me as a kid. Yeah. Um, Cause I was just, just, um, just embarrassingly shy, like just would not talk to people. Was, so Was uh, there an aspect of like you spent all these years as a kid reading and you're liking these books and, and you're able, I'm assuming to like go into the story by reading it. And then you're seeing yeah. these plays and you're like, Oh, that's like, that's what I'm that's reading. It. And now and it's on stage. I, I, yeah, I think so. I always felt as a kid reading and I don't think any of my siblings felt the same way, but I would read a book, like watching a movie. Like it was hard for me to put it down yeah. without getting to the end of it. So I, I think that's probably pretty correct where I was like, Oh, this is a little bit more, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm so envious of that because it's like I, I uh, late diagnosed ADHD. So like reading oh. is my least favorite thing. Love writing. Not a big reader. Um, right. Like oh, well, Audible. See, when you write awesome, though, you can but, make it whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Audible's been it's, yeah, just it's, my best friend in Los Angeles traffic. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's yeah. I'll tell you just like sidebar. I that's how I got into podcasts and audible, um, audiobooks. I was about to say audible. I guess the same thing. Whatever. Um is I used to travel for work six months out of the year and I'd be like, 
driving through Nebraska for nine hours and I would, I bang out like a book and a half or like start a new podcast <laughs> and get like 10 episodes. Yeah. In. And, and then, then you feel smarter doing it. Too. Yeah. So and then it, that stopped. Out. Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic stopped that. And I feel like I've just lo- like fell behind on so many listening activities. Um, yeah, but LA traffic. I, well, I, I have I have a similar thing where like I I went and got my oil change recently, and it had been a much longer period of time between those like three to five thousand miles because yeah. we've all been out of work for so long now that yeah. <laughs> I'm not commuting as much, and that was a bit of a like. Hmm. But and also a decrease in my podcast. A lot of people I know like to do them while like doing chores and stuff, and I kind of I always forget that that's maybe an option for me. But I'm, yeah. I'm much more in the car, love a podcast in the car. I'll get like anxiety overwhelmed about the as it adds up i'm like no i have to get through all these episodes so i'll be like listening while i'm doing something else and then i'll catch something that i really want to like hear again so i have to rewind it um not great but my yeah my wife will be that way with her podcast where she will only listen if she can give it 100 attention so she can follow everything and i was like oh no i'm i'm doing all sorts of stuff you're you're all over the place Uh, to be fair, like half the stuff I listen to is celebrity interviews and why, like, do I really need to be a hundred percent engaged? Right. If you miss a little bit, no one's going to be quizzing you on it, I guess. It's fine. Um, (laughs) so Pittsburgh theater writing, Pittsburgh theater writing. Yeah. And, um, uh, went to Pitt. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there and was a theater major there, but you know, the, the thing with Pitt is it doesn't, there's not a big Hollywood presence with the university of Pittsburgh, yeah. right? Like the, the people I know who went to, uh, you know, Harvard or to NYU or to places that really had like the, a pipeline, yeah. um, tend to have a little bit of a, a smaller head start, I guess, or sometimes much bigger head start. You never, you never know, but I moved to LA and I didn't really know anybody. I moved with two friends who are still out here. So that's pretty impressive. It's been uh, like 17 years <laughs> oh well when did uh, you move out there yeah 2007 oh my god that's so i moved i moved back here in 2006 so i i, I just ah, just missed you just just <laughs> missed each other um which um, is fun. yeah i was i was into the wild was the last thing i was doing before i moved back oh my here. gosh <laughs> it's like I oh need, wow that's I crazy because i was also doing other um, things um yeah <laughs> la is so, crazy but yeah wow so you've been out there a while I've been out here a while and, um, and, and it took a long time for me to, to break into the business as, as they say, cause I, I didn't really know anyone had enough connections. So I did like, I worked at grocery stores and was a server for a long time before getting yeah. a, um, a production assistant job on a real show. There's a lot of like Craigslist ad stuff that yeah. you can get quote unquote PA work on. And it's just, and I did a lot of that too. And you're just, you show up and it's, this isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> This is someone's, you know, maybe someone's dream project bullshit thing, but they're not like going to pay you or treat you like well or yeah. anything. So, well, and the, um, the hustle or, or of that lead to something yeah. that's like a legitimate company. The hustle of doing that. And this is like one thing I pride myself on when I was doing it is like, if you can get in a production assistant job, like at a legit <laughs> thing, yes. um, then the Something people you meet about, there, ideally. Yeah. yeah, the people you meet there are the people that are going to give you your next job and your next job. And that networking is so important. And it's just, yeah, it's wild that like you kind of once you're in it, part of it, part of it is, is like up to you. I, I, did you have that same experience of using the network to continue to build? And absolutely. So when I finally got um, this job, it was on a, a pilot and it was a post production job, post PA job. And I didn't know anything about post PA. But like when you're a P or post-production but when you're a PA it's just 
bring this to here and yeah. come back and bring this to there and answer that. It's just like, you can do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was um, a pilot for ABC and it was uh, an hour long pilot starring Angela Bassett did not get picked up, but it was a real credit. And that made all the difference. That was like just a real thing with producers that people had heard of people knew yeah. like within post at least. And my post producer on, on that pilot really liked me. You know, I, I, I went in and I gave it my, my best. And I um, got from there, I went and I got a post PA job on this show called revenge, which was also on ABC. And it was because the post producers knew each other and the revenge post producer was looking for a PA and my old boss was like, she was great. We recommend her. And, um, so I got, I got an interview there and I actually didn't get to, I, I ended up doing a phone interview, which at the time was like, not the thing. Like now yeah. I think we do interviews via zoom yeah, all the time <laughs> and that's right. Exactly this way, yeah. which is really great. But in 2011, um, I, so while I, while I was working this post PA gig on this pilot, I kept my serving job on the weekends because this, this this pilot gig is only going to be like a month and a half. Right. And yeah. then, and then who knows? And I don't want to be out of a job. So I was working Monday through Friday on a pilot long hours and then serving Saturday, Sunday on the weekends. It was very nice of my restaurant to like, let me cut down. I, I found a good spot, which is good, but I was just like totally exhausted and wiped. And in the middle of all of this, I, um, I ended up knocking out one of my front teeth <laughs> and I know like, and, and it, it was something that I had done as a kid and they like shoved it back up. Like I, I roughed house as a kid and knocked uh -huh. it out. But when you're that young enough, you just like put it in the cup of milk and they stick it back up with braces and they tell you at like eight years old, Hey, in like 10 years, you're going to need a new tooth. And you're like, okay. Oh, and then no. you're 24 or 23 and like, <laughs> and then your tooth just like cracks on a baguette. But I didn't have any time or like insurance I was really, say, to get or it fixed. So <laughs> it's like my first like big Hollywood job and I'm looking like toothless here. Yeah. And also the last person I think you want to accept food from at a restaurant is someone with missing teeth <laughs> too. So it was it was pretty brutal. So oh, I honey, we got the, the meth addict as our server. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. I so I am at LAX and I get this phone call from this post producer on revenge who just wanted to chat with me and see if I could come in for an interview the next day. But I'm literally about to get on a plane to go to Pittsburgh. And I tell him this and he's like, Oh, Oh, that's too bad. You know, Julie, my old boss really liked you. And I'm meeting with two other people tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't have it. You're like, I can't show up. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? In, what are you going to Pittsburgh for? And I tell him the story about like, I've knocked out my tooth. I'm going to Pittsburgh because even including airfare, it was cheaper to get it done in Pittsburgh than it was to get it done in LA um with my old dentist in pittsburgh yeah. which is just nuts um and he like kind of paused for a minute and then he asked me which tooth and i told him and he said that's so funny i just knocked that same tooth out last month <laughs> and i know and then he hired me <laughs> oh well sure <laughs> i was like okay uh so he didn't hire me on the spot but a few days later like he called me he's like, hey i just had a really good time chatting with you on the phone yeah. like about this tooth thing <laughs> and it ended up being kind of what it got in and I ended Simpatico up on the show for the entire the tooth. Run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's a really bizarre uh, twist of, of fate. Um I'm but curious, I ended up on <laughs> kind of, I, Yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. I just was uh before we we dive into the next thing, I'm just wondering in the theater stuff that you were doing in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um and at Pitt, was that any like was that acting as well or were you Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was mostly acting. Is that um, an initial goal that you had when you came out to LA? I very quickly abandoned that goal when I okay. got to LA. <laughs> like it was, 
immediately I was like, I don't have the skin for this. And I always really loved writing. And I, that was always kind of the thing I was very naturally good at. And I liked acting a lot. Um, but it's weird. I think when you have a predisposition to something, especially as a kid, yeah. you don't really think of it as like, oh, this is a career. This is just like a, ho- or like a hobby or something that, that you're good at. You know? Well, and then you um, have to gain the confidence when you're an adult that like, oh, I yes. can make this a career and it's not a right. hobby. I can, like, I can do this. <laughs> um, so I had been you know, taking creative writing classes because they made me the happiest to take. They were just like, just so much fun for me. And I, yeah. I felt um, good at it. <laughs> and so uh, when I moved to LA and kind of was like, you know, I really don't think I want to do this acting thing. Um, I I started uh, reading a lot of scripts and then trying to kind of model uh, what I was reading and watching, yeah. um, especially in the comedy scene. And, and while I was at Pitt, I was writing little comedy sketches and stuff that people would perform and, and involved with improv and, and sketch stuff. So it was a little bit akin to that, but, um, I didn't have really any proper instruction when it came to writing screenplays, but I did have, um, a theater background, which does give you a bit more of a storytelling background as well. Yeah. 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 And Scre- character background, I guess. Yeah. I, I was very confused about screenplays when I first saw them. Cause I think I bought, uh, God, yeah. They don't look like plays, which is kind of trippy as well. Yeah. Cause I did, I did some yeah. theater stuff in high school and then I, yeah. fell down the rabbit hole of like Kevin Smith movies for a while. And so I got like a clerk's <laughs> chasing Amy book. That was just the screenplays. And then I got the scream screenplay. Cause I had a big crush on Nev Campbell for my entire life. Who are we, I who mean, are we kidding? Also a, um, a killer movie. <laughs> yes, no exactly. It's, it's a great script. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kevin Williamson. Amazing. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I really dove into, I like, I like that look. Um, to, like I, it's like a book, like you can read it like a book because the, depending on the writer, obviously, um, it paints the whole story for you and you can fill in the blanks of like what people look like on your mind, the way the characters can. And I can get into that the way you were describing earlier, where you just want to get to the end and finish the whole thing a lot yeah. better, like way more than I could just a, like a book. And I think, oh, sure. Cause it allows for that room for your imagination to fill in those gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I don't know a tangent sorry uh <laughs> no it's great but, it, it is weird uh, i can't even remember like like my first time seeing a screenplay i i might have been reservoir dogs i bought one of those like oh and quentin tarantino <sighs> writes novels man <laughs> yeah i know but i i'd never seen it and i was in new york and i must have been in like high school i think it was in high school and um the there there would be people who would sell like uh like um the DVDs and, and scripts oh, yeah. and stuff like just on the street. Oh, yeah. Right. Little and you can legs. just buy them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> little, little, little bootleg ones. And I was like, I've never seen it. I'm going to read it. And I, that must've been the first one, but it wasn't like kind of bookish form, but yeah. screenplay form kind of in book form and, and definitely not properly copyrighted or anything. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah. They put yeah. it in a word processing program. Press play. Right. On the movie. Exactly. <laughs> Sprint, charge someone $5 walking yeah, down the street. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, New York. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I was just curious about the acting thing, and and so writing something I'm guessing was a comfort zone for you, regardless. So uh, exactly. it sounded like you were getting that reinforcement that you're like, hey, you're good at this. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> um, yeah, you have kind of a, a natural talent for this, um, and for the for the rhythm of storytelling too, which I think is is important as a musician. I'm sure you can yeah. uh, feel that as well. You know, when when the beats need to come, when it starts need to pick up, when oh, it yeah. needs to slow down, that kind of stuff. Um, um, are you writing while you're doing all the, the PA jobs yeah. as well? 
Yeah. So, which doesn't give you much of a social life, but it, um, you know, when you're hustling alongside other people who are um, like-minded like that, it doesn't, it's, you know, it works out pretty well. So I was uh, submitting to these fellowships um, that the networks do like ABC has a fellowship, Warner brothers um, and, and NBC, the writers on the writers on the verge. And um, they all kind of, and it's just to attract writers who otherwise don't have any connections and you submit samples and like usually write an essay it feels like applying for college almost they still do this like, yeah they well i think that, yes they still do it um I, it's been a long time since yeah. i i was applying to these things but i'm pretty sure they still exist they're still around they may have shifted and shape shifted a little bit yeah um, i know like a lot of submission tools or like formats have changed over the last like you know, 10 to 20 years, just because technology and, and submission, like it's just been, I mean, think about music demos, right? And used to be able to just send a cassette to the right, record just, company. Yeah, and, just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Or just cold calling agents. Yeah. Are you, now you want you need a new writer? million followers on TikTok and you'll get oh, record gosh. It's, it's so sadly true. I, I, I'm, yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it's worse for actors and, and musicians oh, that are trying remember. to get out yeah. there, trying to get reps than writers who are like kind of notoriously behind the scenes and shy and, and not wanting to show face much. <laughs> so not, not the biggest TikTokers. Um, but I, but the thing with these programs is, is it was forcing me to write scripts that I could submit to them. So I would end up with a new sample pretty much every, every year that I got rejected from these things because you would want to write a new one, you know? Um, but I ended up with some great samples and I did make it to the finals twice and I didn't get in, but I ended up with some good samples um, while I was working in post-production. So, okay. and, and I got promoted um, on revenge uh, to post, so from post PA to post coordinator to post supervisor. And it's all just various forms of admin jobs and making sure yeah. workflow does, you know, whatnot and, and, and various responsibilities. But when you get to post supervisor, you do work a little bit more closely with the writers and the showrunner who come in and you're kind of the eyes on the screen and making sure it looks the way you want it to look and you're in touch with the visual effects people and you're in touch with uh, sound mix and, and you basically are just trying to make sure that what the showrunner wants is what is happening um, in, in the edit, basically. Um, and uh, when Revenge was canceled, I did a brief stint on this canceled, this other canceled show called Blood and Oil that only lasted 10 episodes with Don Johnson and Chase Crawford, I think. And I got a call from a post executive at ABC that was like, oh, um, Black's post supervisor is leaving. You want to uh, interview her there? And I was like, absolutely. I was a really big fan and uh, a very big fan of that show. And also of the showrunner at the time uh, was Jonathan Groff, who ran, um, not the actor, who ran uh, Happy Endings, which was just one of my like yeah. top five comedies. Um, and I was really excited to meet him. So I got the job. And um, at the end of my first year on Blackish, Jonathan Groff's assistant told me that he was moving. And so I kind of like went right to Jonathan's office and I was like, I hear your assistant's moving. I would like to be considered. And like, I have writing samples ready if you want to read them. And he, and we had worked with each other in post, which was also a great thing. You know, if you don't have Develop the job that you relationship, want, yeah. yeah, you build a relationship and, uh, and, and you know, I would be able to like kind of pitch post solutions to him and then we have like a lot of animated stuff and i just remember the animation timing and the voiceover timing it just wasn't working so i kind of spent some time with the animators and went over a couple things delivered it and he was just loved it and then i was like 
sweet. I'm in his good graces. <laughs> just, yeah. just really excited about that. It's funny to look back now because I did end up becoming his assistant and consider him a friend now. He's just wonderful. And I was so intimidated by him or just like, hmm. just, you know, he's not an intimidating guy, really. But um, he just has such an incredible resume and is just a person you want to be on the good side of, I guess. Can I ask you like a satellite question to during all this? Um, I mean, it sounds like you reached that point, especially as a production supervisor, I imagine. Cause I, a post-production I, supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then you would, you would be partially responsible for bringing in post-production PAs and. Yeah. There's still a post-producer above you, but you, I certainly saw it on like, uh, some of the interviews for the yeah. PAs, especially. Yeah. Did it feel, yeah. did you ever get that? not implying that's gratifying, but why not that gratifying feeling of (laughs) of like, Oh, cool. I've worked my way up to now be able to help provide the opportunity for the people that were in my position this many years. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I, I, when I showed up as a post PA, um, just in, in the world, I was so excited. Like this is real television. Like this is like, you know, it's not writing, but it is making TV in a very real way. On, on ABC, which millions of people watch and my friends and family could watch and see my name pop up in the credits. And that was so huge for me. And I, I always thought it was, I still think it's like the coolest thing in the world. And the thing um, that I was really shocked at is there are people that get hired on these shows, even as PAs, who don't think it's the coolest thing in the world and aren't showing up every day with a smile on their face, yeah. like happy to be there and just think like, when can I be done being a PA? Cause I really want to do this and, or, you know, something else. And <laughs> uh, we had to hire someone who was just like some executive godson yeah. and he, oh some my good old gosh, nepotism. Like, yeah. And, and you, I just remember thinking like, how are you not thrilled to be here, man? Yeah. Like, how are you like just so annoyed with this? Like I, I just, it blew my mind. So when you found people who were one, usually equally, not as connected as you were coming in like the, it's just and and you really are like giving them here's a shot on a real show and if you do well like you said earlier you if you do well people want to hire people who they know yeah. have been successful or have like are good to work with yeah. and it's a lot of word of mouth hiring which can be frustrating because it's hard to break in but it, it makes sense you know yeah. so um yes it was it was a pleasure to work with with yeah. other people who were excited to be yeah. there and really wanted them to do their best. That's and a fun, like sometimes it worked out stone. and sometimes it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt the same way in the writer's room too, when we would hire new writers, PAs or writers assistants as I, as I climbed up yeah. of well, wanting to tell me about the, your confidence level as you're doing the PA work, the post PA work <laughs> and, and the yeah. supervisor work and you're writing in the background, as you said, yeah. like you didn't really, know how to write screenplays or TV scripts. Um, I mean, everything's right. different, right? Screenplays, scripts, sketch comedy, everything's formatted completely different. It's like, come on guys. Um, it, like, where's your confidence level with that? Cause you're submitting these packages for the fellowships. I imagine at one point, I like, sorry, at one no, point. You, yeah, please. <laughs> all over the place. Really? Like there are days where I'm like, I didn't move to LA to be a post supervisor like what am i doing here how many years should i give this like and it's hard even when you're already on a show um it's hard to switch hop between departments people kind of tend to see you as just one thing and i was very lucky that someone that jonathan took a shot on on at me or at me on me (laughs) uh and that um yeah so my confidence level 
I felt like what I was writing was pretty funny. Like mm -hmm. I was proud of it, right? Um, I knew that I had probably a long way to go in terms of being able to turn these things out. Like it would take me a while, you know? yeah. So, um, I, so I, I was confident in my ability and less confident, um, in my, uh, in my ability to write and less confident in my ability to get a job, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's hard and everyone wants to to do it too. Yeah, that's like, gotta be part I'm of the not... turnoff of, of acting yeah. too, is the, if you, if you don't like rejection as a writer, you're going to fucking hate it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> turn it up, turn it up to, to 11 yeah. oh <laughs> and, and try it as an actor for sure. Uh, so what season did you come in to blackish just in, in production, post-production? Uh, season two. Okay. Season two. And then yeah, what and then season? I, I was in the writers, yeah. uh, uh, season four. Oh, okay. Um, as a showrunner's assistant, as Jonathan's assistant. And then season five, I was in the writer's room as the writer's assistant, which means that you are in the room, which yeah. is the most valuable um, education if you want to be on uh, uh, TV staff, is to sit in the room with the writers and you really like, you kind of sit in the corner and you type and you take all the notes and the way that it worked on Blackish. And I think in most half hour comedies, everyone kind of sits around a conference room table. And there is a huge monitor at the end of, you know, the table and everything that you're typing is just up there. So it was a blessing that I was a, a gifted and fast typer, <laughs> <laughs> a typist. And uh, so you take notes and you send the notes out at the end of every night and you have to kind of organize and clean them up, bold what the showrunner says, bold what everyone kind of agrees on from moving forward and, and organize them into kind of topics because conversations meander and, um, you're killing my dream of uh, of writers' rooms just being like note cards thumbtacked all over the wall. There, there are there. <laughs> yeah, um, so digital. There, there will be like we'll do that with um, uh, episode ideas. We would do that. Right. Like you know, Jack can't find his pants. All right, put that on a card on the wall, and then like if we're stuck for episode ideas, what yeah. was that one about the pants? You know, and I got you. It um, so uh, it's. So you do you do notes, and then also um, when we're working on a script, you're the you're the on the keys as we like to call it in the script, and then editing it as they go, and they're shouting out jokes, and they're shouting out you know what to do. So you're in final draft and and typing it and typing the physical doc the physical the digital document that becomes a physical document um, as it goes. So um, listening skills have to be uh, quite good as well as your typing skills. Cause you want to be able to catch up and, and writers are very precious and they all want their jokes to be thrown in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll type them all out with little slashes in between. And then usually, um, the showrunner come out, come through and like pick one and you'll bold a favorite what it is, but you want to make sure everyone's heard. Yeah. Are you, are you feeling like when you're the writer's assistant, you're like, I'm ready to jump in and like sit at, sit at the table Totally. Um, I mean, I, I, like, yeah, I did. I certainly did. Yeah. And like, I and I um, I was good at. I, I I can say confidently, I was good at my job. I was good at being a writer's assistant in that I got everything in. I didn't slow the room down by needing to like use two fingers to type or whatever it is. And and not that that would make you a bad writer, but right now you're just a writer's assistant, and that's you know what you want to do. So when I got really comfortable in the chair. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a room that was very open to and encouraging of its assistants to pitch it. And like with the caveat, like not all the time, like when you got something like good, you know, yeah. like not just throwing it out there to keep conversation moving, which you can do when you're actually around that table. 
uh, just to jog ideas and stuff. But I ended up, when I was a writer's assistant season five, ended up getting a couple jokes in script that made it to air. And I, it was like as high as I'd ever felt in my yeah, life. <laughs> just, yeah. Just like, mom, I got two, I got two jokes tonight, but like, yeah. you can't say which ones they are. Right. Cause you'll blow them. So yeah. you have to like, now you remember this joke. That was me. And yeah. I made it in. The thing Dion Cole <laughs> said, that was mine. Um. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> um, and, but when you have a joke like that and you make it in and it makes it into the script and everyone laughs, like people remember that they remember, yeah. Oh, Lizzie's funny. And she nailed that joke. And, um, I, I got great advice from one of the writers uh, who told me, like, if you're going to pitch a joke, pitch a joke that's also a fix. Um, so if you're like stuck on a story point or uh, a way to end the scene, if you can come up with a joke that does that, they'll love you. <laughs> so, okay. okay. So I was kind of biding my time and waiting for like, oh, great. And and both of the jokes that I got in were scene, scene finishers. Yeah. Because so you're putting the bow on the scene and it's a real yeah, exactly. nice package. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um, so. Is there any like intimidation be right, like thinking about writing for that specific show? Because Blackish like quickly became like the voice uh, of, of Black America. And like it was a funny show and, and a comedy, but then it also had uh, really, I mean, really substantial effect uh, on. Uh, things that were happening in the culture at the time, especially as, as time <laughs> wore on and, and things got dark. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and I wonder, yeah. just like as a white woman, was it like, where do I <laughs> fit in this table? Cause I I'm projecting that question, but it's right. I got very um, used to letting the people whose lives were affected in a way that mine aren't talk, yeah. you know, um, let the black writers talk, let the black writers hash out, especially uh, storylines that, revolved heavily around being black in America and or being a black parent uh, or, and, you know, there's not much that I can contribute to that conversation other than um, a, a little bit of an objectivity. Um, I remember when we did this episode about uh, black hair and it was great. We had Jill Scott come in. It was a kind of a musical yeah. episode. It was really fun. I know the episode and, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, it was really cool. And I remember the writer of that episode and two other uh, black women went off and they kind of broke the story, uh, not not entirely on their own, but they went through it and they came back to the room and kind of addressed the white writers. And they were like, all right, we're going to go through the story and we need you to like raise your hands when you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, how, how much do we need to adjust this for our audience, which actually is the majority white audience um, Blackish had. So, <laughs> uh, you know. I don't know that it was necessarily like, oh, look at me being helpful, but yeah. that certainly made me laugh. Um, but that's nice to be it, so it, inclusive it, in that way too, because yeah, no matter like, like who you're writing for, if you're writing for a specific down. audience, yeah, like it's good. Yeah, to... <laughs> yeah. How? How? Yeah. How? What? Yeah. <laughs> we need to simplify this for you because you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it is a, a good lesson in, in just shutting up and listening, and then contribute where you can, which is for me was with jokes or um, and you know family stories. Our family stories. So I have brothers and sisters. I have parents who work a lot. I have like you know you can contribute there. So you contribute to the parts that are applicable to you, yeah. and you listen and learn in the parts that are not. Yeah. So you got by the time you're as because you what what's the position? Just right? Is it just writer? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> so after I was a writer's assistant, I became a staff writer, and that's staff the writer. that's the lowest that's the level. Like yeah, that's the lowest level. Um, it's uh so you become a staff writer and then a story editor 
executive story editor, co-producer, producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer, executive producer. And really all those are hierarchy within the writer's room. Yeah. And, um, set pay amounts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your salary. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's just res- responsible in the right. So as a store, as a staff writer, there's not a whole lot of pressure on you to generate a lot of story. Yeah. You're kind of there more jokes, helping bounce ideas around that kind of, that kind but of, but at stuff. that point you do you feel pretty good. You found your voice, like, you know, yeah. And I had, I had the great gift of being on that show by the time I was, it was season six and I was bumped up. I had been on the show since season two yeah. in some capacity. So you knew the so characters' was, voices too. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, absolutely. So I was going to say, I knew, I knew a lot of the writers, but <laughs> yes, yeah, even better. I knew the characters <laughs> and even better than that, I had spent a year uh, watching them break story and watching them write these episodes and realizing what was, um, good and efficient and funny and useful and not useful when you're doing that around yeah. the writer's room. So I felt very prepared in a way that I think a lot of staff writers don't get to do it. Some people join a room and have never been in a room before in any capacity as an assistant or otherwise. And that sounds so intimidating and they don't know anyone. Yeah. So I really, I got a, I definitely went in, um, I don't want to say with a handicap, but like, <laughs> like in, in the golf terms, <laughs> <But> yeah. like, <laughs> I, I, I went in with a leg up for sure in terms of, of confidence and feeling prepared. Tell, tell me about the feeling that you had. <laughs> um, and hopefully I may imagine this is on a wall somewhere The your the first time your name is on the front of that script for an episode. Oh yeah. I was going to, I thought you were going to say my, my first day at the, t- I do. I want to say that I, I came in my first day as a staff writer and as a, and I wanted to like, have like a bit on the first day or like a joke. I was like, I'm going to make them laugh. And I, I dressed up, <laughs> I just had to tone a tuxedo with a monocle and a top hat. Just like, oh, I made it like I'm in the money now. <laughs> no longer assistant <laughs> union. <laughs> and it got a big laugh. So yeah. it, was, it was very funny. And there's some, some delightful photos from that day. Um, <laughs> I could, I, I guess, but like seeing your name on it, even from like, when it, even from like an, an outline or sending it like, the see your name on the whiteboard assigned to a script it's heaven and, and like continued to be anytime it said you know written by lizzie donaldson i yeah. took photos i i was just like i can't believe this is real and especially that first one um yeah i, I just couldn't wait to brag to everybody <laughs> i knew <I> guess. yeah <laughs> did that feel like a like a i mean a huge milestone like you imagine that's Oh in yeah, because I mean, in the grand the scheme of like, you are... I, was, I was gonna say yeah. in the grand scheme of like screenwriters, there's just like musicians, right? There's there's only so many people that have their name on the front of a script, um, in the world of people that write. I mean, like I write, I'm not anywhere. Like, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of writers, and then there's a lot of writers that want to do something in the world that you're doing something, and then there's that small percentage that actually like get to that point and that's got to be uh and to physically yeah. like see it you like obviously you can get there as a job and it's your position but yeah to see it there and print it out it's and... a dream come true and it's it's a thing that you you daydream about when you're working in, in the job that you don't want to do as you try <laughs> to achieve this thing like it's the, the actual the physical manifestation of it when you sit down you've got you're at your first table read and that script is in front of you and you're at the table and the thing your little placard in front of you says writer you know <laughs> you get to sit down next to the director at the table read and um it, it was really cool 
Yeah. Really cool. That's awesome. Um, and it continues to be cool, and I hope it never <laughs> stops being cool. <laughs> yeah. What uh, I have. Go ahead. Oh, I have screenshots from all of my episodes of my written by credit popping up on the screen as well. <laughs> yeah, as well you should. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Yeah. I. So, small small tangent. I started in reality TV, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a scary place to start because you'll stay in it forever, um, and just work on the worst shows. Um, what did you work on? I worked on three seasons of America's Next Top Model. I did a little bit. Did you did you know Kenya Barris at all when he because like, Kenya Barris does not. He created familiar. he created Blackish, but he was friends with Tyra Banks, and I think that he was a producer on the show at some point. They that were like went to high school together or something, familiar. which is wild. Okay, right, um, just check. There was a Ken something was one of the executive I, I don't producers. Think he would have gone by Ken. Um, yeah. yeah, no, this was it was seasons five, six, and seven. Um, and I worked my way up to like art department and I was so thankful for that because <laughs> driving models around in a 15 pass van around LAX and <laughs> it gets old. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many pictures I had at some point of like a television screen with like a head in the corner and be like, that's my head. Uh, <laughs> just, or anytime my name made it anywhere. Absolutely. Um, that was that was my tangent just yeah i the screenshots yeah right yeah 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 that was yeah. Um, your 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 manifestation of dreams coming oh coming boy right let's not say that uh <laughs> but i digress um so black because blackish ended during the pandemic right they had it ended once... um the finale aired in the spring of 22 so last year yeah okay yeah um what what were you working on between then and four months ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working on a, a feature. Well, I was trying to sell a feature and okay. and having meetings and, and 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 taking that out and doing that. It was a um, and so I'm, I'm and I'm I still plan to when when we come back. I still plan to finish those meetings. <laughs> so I really wanted to. I had all this time after Blackish wrapped and 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 I didn't. I just had reps for the first time too. I didn't have reps the whole time I was on Blackish because. I worked my way into that room by climbing a ladder, which is increasingly difficult to do uh, more just because there's, and we can get into this with strike stuff, but like to, to get a, a shot on a show that has that kind of longevity where you can um, uh, climb, climb up and s- to the point where like, I switched apartments and then still like was promoted several times after I switched apartments and ended as an executive story editor on, on season eight. Um, so I, uh, I, I didn't have reps. So the first thing I did was like, I didn't need to get reps. <laughs> um, uh, Cause I kept being brought back, which is very fortunate. I didn't want to give anyone 10% just for a job I already had. Yeah. Um, and I went out on like a bunch of generals and then uh, I, I had all this, this free time that I had never previously had. Cause I had been fortunate enough to keep working since that first PA gig that I had. Um, which is crazy. Like I want to point it's out crazy. to anyone listening, like to be able to have consistent work that entire time, in that business is insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, I worked every year. So this is the first. This is the first chunk of time post Blackish that I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like I'm not yeah. really used to this. 
Um, so I wrote a, I wrote a rom-com that, uh, I'm a rom-com lady and I'm also a lesbian. And so I wrote a queer rom-com that I'm very, um, okay. proud of and very excited about and was really excited to take around and, and, and get some positive responses to, and, and was just kind of starting to jump into that world. Not that it, it might not go anywhere. Likelihood is it won't go anywhere, yeah. but I was excited to kind of get my feet with, with that. Um, and the reality was like, I wasn't getting a whole lot of meetings on, uh, on writer's rooms, um, there weren't a lot being made with the anticipation of this strike coming up, but also right. in just in general, there weren't uh, as many being made as the year prior. Um, so it, it was already slow before the strike happened. Um, and so that, so that's, I kind of was just like, all right, well, I'm going to write a movie instead and then kind of focus on that. Yeah. So that's what I was focused on. <laughs> and then the strike hit and, and my uh, uh, unemployment time, longer <laughs> can we Extended. dive into that a little bit um yeah so i, I want to make sure that we're we're talking like about wga because that's that you're part yes. of it and not sag afra yeah. um what so can you explain for for the folks at home uh, like mm-hmm. what initiated the strike um not, and I know you're like said you're not at the negotiating table you're not like yeah so I'm not like what are your demands <laughs> I, I, I'll do but, my best yeah. I, like so just to to kind of paint a picture just broadly and then we can yeah. kind of get get into a bit more detail but um I'm sure everyone all Americans have noticed that television has shifted largely from, from broadcast to mostly streaming and internet um and uh you know Netflix kind of led the charge on that um and just changed the game the whole um television industry is completely different now um so i was on blackish and that was a very traditional writer's room with 12 to 15 people we got to go to set and produce our own episodes we got to sit in on post-production we were part of the whole process um and we had 22 to 24 episodes a season which kept you employed for the majority of good old days yeah yes (laughs) um so that is just not happening anymore um these uh, when you have shows on streaming, the episode orders are, are you know, a quarter of that. Um, <laughs> you're like six to ten episodes of things, which was just a quick five are very annoying when you're uh, uh, going up, you know, for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy against a show that has six episodes and you had to make 24. You come on. <laughs> this is not fair. Um, but that's not why we're striking. <laughs> um, but the so the episode orders get shorter. Um, the jobs get shorter, the rooms get smaller. And on top of that, the pay rate for working on a streaming show is less than work than the same job that you're doing working on a network show. And not only is your like weekly rate, um, smaller, but your residual checks are smaller. You don't get, um, as much residuals. Um, and, uh, so we wanted to renegotiate all of that, especially because most television shows are streamers now and it's just unfair. So, um, on top of so on top of that, that is already going to put you back looking for jobs at a, a higher rate than you would if if you were a writer on Blackish who was employed for you know ten months out of the year yeah. <laughs> or nine months out of the year because um, you're writing on a show and then you're cut and then you're just back out there and you're just working ten weeks at a time and you're, it's just kind of more a little bit more and more like gig work um, and then uh, I think studios realize hey we could, what we can really do to save money is uh, just have, you know, four writers work really hard around the clock for a few weeks and break a whole season and not write the scripts for it, but then pick one writer, the showrunner will, you know, not pick it, but the showrunner will then write all the scripts and all the other writers will be cut. So it used to be 
Uh, we used to be involved in all three facets of production, pre-production, which obviously we're writing it. That's pre-production. Yeah, yeah. Production, we'd be on set producing our episodes and post-production. And I think the studios really say, hey, we can really cut them out of the second two, right? <laughs> and then, so our jobs got shorter. Um, and that has become uh, more standard. Uh, and uh, also a little silly because writers are needed on set. We know the episodes best. And yeah. I like even on Blackish, your directors rotate. You usually don't have the same director and they're focused on directing. They're not focused so much on uh, the script and any changes that were made to the script, you know, they'll, they'll of course get updates and they'll be aware of that, but we shoot out of order and, and no one knows the script as well as the writer. So even on Blackish, I had a really wonderful, very funny, talented director, but we, I remember being in the middle of the scene and being like, hey, like, you know, Jack, the, the son on the show, he needs to be really annoyed in this scene because the scene that we go to next, he's, in, he's like, his motivation there is he's annoyed with his parents. And so he's going to do something stupid to get back at them, basically. And in the scene, because uh, it was really quick, he was kind of playing it very nonchalant, very like coming in. He's like, oh, okay, right. Yeah, I forgot. And like, but we shoot it out of order. So yeah. it's easy to get lost. And, and no one knew that script better than I did. And I also, when you're a writer on set, you not only know this, this show best, you know what's coming down the line. So you want to make sure that everything that needs to get shot in a certain way or said a certain way does that. That <laughs> um, you're also the most uh, likely to be in touch with a showrunner on a consistent basis throughout the day. You text the showrunner constantly about what's happening on set. So um, it's it just doesn't feel like it's smart to have a writer there to make yeah. sure that you're getting the shots you need because reshoots are really expensive. Well, I imagine in comedies that, too, you get a lot of good alts from your writer being on, on set. Totally, yeah. And if something <laughs> changes and we would have to do that too, if one of the actors is like, I don't understand why I'm saying this. Can I have a different way of saying this? Yeah. Or can I have some lines leading up to this? Or I don't like this joke. Can I have a new joke? You know? <laughs> yes. And you have to be someone who can think on your feet and, and give it right away. Yeah. Um, uh, but on top of that, the so I did want to emphasize that like writers are important on set because there was a lot of talk, and and rightly so though about writers needing to be on set so that they learn how to be showrunners. And when you deny them the chance to be on set, you're denying the next generation of people who are able to run shows for you and know what they're doing. And if if like if you think it's expensive to keep writers on for an extra few weeks, it's going to be way more expensive when you try to shoot a show when no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know, like it's just not going to work. So uh, it's it's part. So that's all part of a, a larger struggle um, yeah. <laughs> that uh, I'm like, where, where do I go from here? Well, um, I'm curious oh, about something you said, and I've heard it yeah. um, from the SAG after side as well. Um, I can't remember who broke it down, but it made a lot of sense to me. But the residuals where, yeah, you know, TV used to be networks and reruns were on networks and that's how it works. And yeah. now that reruns don't really exist in that same way and it's all on streaming no. and people can just yeah. like watch it. The residuals from what would be reruns don't really exist anymore. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, exactly. Because it's not a re-air with the traditional like ad space that you would get from a primetime re-air. Yeah. And, so once um, like Netflix buys it, you don't get anything for it anymore. No, exactly. Yeah. That's which yeah. is crazy. So, and, like and I can, think can, to can, anybody that watched, sounds crazy. Yes. It's crazy. <laughs> you can be the most watched show on Netflix and it, it doesn't change your residual pay. It, yeah, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So residual streaming, uh, we want performance-based residuals, which is tough 
it's tough. Um, I mean, it makes sense to me because our, our residuals on network are performing. Like we know how many people are watching the show. We know how yeah. many people are watching Blackish, how many people tuned in. And we have no idea with streamers and, and they can say, oh, you're the number one watch show on Netflix, but one, prove they it. Tell like, you anything. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, like you, you could just be saying that. Yeah. Um, but I think that the big issue with that is the ANPTP, which is the collection of studios that we're striking against, they are all com- competitors with each other. And I don't think that they want to release these viewership numbers in part because they don't like Netflix doesn't want Disney to know how well they're streaming, how many people are watching this and, and, and vice versa. So it's a really weird thing to try that they are negotiating as a team, but also as enemies almost. So everyone's going to want different wants over there. And I think that's I mean, there's a lot of what's like, greed is holding this up, but there's a lot of that. And I think that's also going to hold up negotiations. The they need industry. to get on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and um, it's just crazy to think about that, like from a, um, you know, a wide point view, I can't talk, but <laughs> the, like this metric that TV has based, been based on for decades and decades and decades, yeah. like since TV started, um, yeah. is now a metric that is no longer going to be shared by, where most people are starting to get their content from, which is like, that's a crazy shift. And how do you manage that? Right. And our contract <laughs> needs to reflect that crazy shift. Yeah, yeah. put guardrails in place and protections in place for us. And they just don't want to, they just want to keep using the old playbook for a completely new game, yeah. basically. And and um, I, I mentioned this when I was talking to you in a message somewhere, but one yeah. of the reasons I, I think timing is really important on having this conversation is, I mean, A, as of, I think Saturday is going to be four months that you guys have been on strike. And then the, the fall TV season is about to start. And I think a lot of people, you know, that aren't connected to the business whatsoever and just like see this in a news headline once in a while, uh, don't really feel affected by it. And I think a lot of people now that shows aren't going to be starting on time when they're expecting. Right. Them. Right. Where's right. my Abbott elementary? Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I, I think it's a good time to bring this to people that might not necessarily be in that, uh, in Hollywood as in yeah. Hollywood air quotes. In, um, yeah. Yeah. In the biz to, to help um, understand, like, this is how you're being directly affected. Like, cause these people are getting screwed over by, by, yeah. Well, the <laughs> the other thing that I think is actually really relatable to um, probably the majority of Americans and ultimately impacts all of us is uh, is the the use of, of AI and the um, uh, and we haven't touched on that yet, but that's also a, a big deal that we want protections in place. But you can see it. That's something that you know we're familiar with, right? We've seen the the fall of the gas station attendant, right? And we've seen. Yeah. Uh, grocery store clerks just become self-checkout lines and they're convenient, but they're a little bit uh, like, well, those are jobs that are going yeah, but away. Leslie, then I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> I know. And it's great. Like I, 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 I just use it today. Like yeah. it's, it's, it is super convenient. And, um, I don't need a bag. I brought my own. Um, but AI but, writing is, <sighs> yeah, well, that's the thing is I was like, well, at least creative jobs will never like you'll yeah. never be able to have. And and now it feels, oh, yes, in, in very real ways you can. And there is a um, there is a, like a I think this word clause sentence that says that, like, a, you basically have to be a human to be to be receiving writing credit. Right. But I think the fear right now of what's going to happen and, and is that 
we were already reducing the sizes of these rooms and, and show owners are allowed to request how many, however many writers they want. They're allowed to request it. They're not giving it. Like yeah. that's already like, I want, you know, 10 writers. You can have five. Okay. Or I want six. You can have two, like whatever it is. And you want to take it because we're artists and we believe really passionately in this product in a way you, that these corporations don't, these corporations don't, they don't, I, I was listening to someone who said they don't read reviews, they're reading stock prices, right? They don't really care about the quality of this. We really yeah. care about the stories we're telling and, and the things we want to do. So we're going to be like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll take a couple less writers if I can get my art made, right? We're already in that position. We're already yeah. the underdog in that do scenario. Do more with less. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because we really are passionate about our projects. Um, so with the AI stuff, like we're, we're, we're already in mini room territory. And, and I think the fear is, okay, Lizzie, we're going to green light your show. You have two writers, which is silly, but like you'll break eight episodes together over 10 weeks. And then we cut the two writers, we green light it. And then you Lizzie will write all the scripts. And that's kind of what they're doing now with a lot yeah. of stuff. Uh, but then what my worry is that instead of, okay, we greenlit the show, bring the writers back in, it's going to be okay. We greenlit the show and we fed all the episodes that you, you know, the outlines or whatever it is that you broke. We fed it into this AI generator. It's going to write the scripts. You get to polish the scripts and make it sound human. And you get a writing credit. Like that's your writer's room now, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you. Bummer. And I, I think that is the end goal, right? Like that's, that's the end game. And then they don't have to pay a bunch of writers. They just pay the one writer, which is also, uh, again, silly because you're going to burn someone out that way. And when you do burn them out, there's no one there to help take over. There's no one there who now knows the show as well as I do if it's my show that can help in any way. Yeah. Plus, I also have to be on set and I also have to be in post. Like you just you need help at the end of the day. So there's that. And then also, if you're shedding all of these writers from all of these shows, that's less money that goes into our health and pension fund. And if there's no health and pension fund, there's basically there's no writers guild. And then there's no career. So there's no way to make a living as a television writer. You're going to, it's going to have to be, okay, I write on the show and I also, uh, you know, drive Uber on the side. Like it's just going to be another gig thing that you do. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a definitely a larger struggle. I think it's relatable to Americans. It's how corporate, excuse me, it's how cor corporations view individuals now and whether or not people matter. Um, and, and this strike it's, it's not just, oh, we want to raise. We do. <laughs> like, their profits have skyrocketed. And our TV writers pay has dropped by 24% in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, but it's not just that. It's about preserving this as a career and a viable middle-class job um, that is just seems to be going away. And we're kind of looking five to 10 years down the road and saying, we want this to still exist. And I think these studios are just looking at quarterly reports and worrying about that and not looking down the road like we are. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's wild to think that, and I, and as someone that's not in, in the business, it's still wild to think that, oh, here, would this person write these 10 scripts? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, it's so much what? work. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't make me do that. That's nutty. <laughs> well, cause, and then, and then that puts it on you to be like, just factoring in AI stuff is like, you're going to, you can't even blame a writer that's being like, write these 10 scripts in the next two weeks to like, <laughs> what if they might want to turn to AI for a couple of things, which is 
a dangerous road to put anybody down. So. Yeah, it's and then there's also the whole thing like you can't copyright AI work, right? Because yeah. it's not. Well, the irony of just, it is AI is pulling from a bunch of stuff that's available online, which is other people's stuff. Which is plagiarism, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so and how do you how well, are you going to? Yeah. There's no way to like pursue that, right? Like yeah, yeah. it just seems just so vast. It's um, crazy to me to that it's already even... something that is is creating such a large issue in this capacity. Um, yeah. It, like chat gpt started in like december last year <laughs> like how how is this already this big an issue like what is going on That's you know crazy. i was i i've heard a lot of people uh right and probably someone on the negotiating committee which again i am not part of but <laughs> I, I do pay attention as i can um, but, uh, that i don't think ai would have been such a sticking point if it was something if it weren't something that during negotiations, they were like a hard pass on discussing at all. And then there's a red flag that's like, why won't they touch that? Why yeah. won't they negotiate? Why won't they counter on this thing? And then you're just like, well, it must mean a lot to them. It yeah. must mean they have plans, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like in the 50s, so they're I, like, well, we're not going to talk about the women in the room, but. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious what people if if anything what people can do to i don't know motivate help <laughs> um i think what you can do is um share on social media um uh, just i think that uh public opinion is especially important in these kind of things and it matters a lot um but and and just to let people know what we're fighting for because like i said i do think that especially with the ai stuff and automated jobs like people get that like that's <laughs> coming for a, a People. it's coming for more than just writers you yeah, know it's going to come for studio executives at some point like some point right yeah. they're already using algorithms to green light shows like what what are you gonna do <laughs> uh and then the shows. second thing there's a lot of great shows too. Yes, anyway um absolutely. uh and then i think donate to the entertainment fund um which it goes towards the people who are also affected by the strike now the writers guild has their own fund which is uh, wonderful but um the people like the crew who are not technically on strike but are out of work because of all yeah. of our strike we want to support them and keep them able to live and survive while they stand alongside us and and support us with this so the entertainment fund is, is hugely important to us and uh essential to keeping us running awesome as a striking unit yeah. um i have a lighter a lighter note to go out on that i'm curious okay. about just because I saw you post something about it, and I was like, "What did you <laughs> did you go hiking from like sunrise to sunset?" <laughs> <laughs> I so I'm I'm actually like yeah, no, I will though. <laughs> I I went hiking. I I did a sunrise hike, and then on the way, like on my hike, I, I hiked 16 miles because I'm actually I'm training right now. But I passed the sign that said sunset point. And I just thought that that was very funny. I felt like I started in reverse. 16. Um, how long did 16 miles take? uh about six hours i would say uh i but um so i'm training right now i'm going to do the grand canyon rim to rim and i'm actually oh, doing it in wow. two weeks and so that's where you start um you seem to yeah. know but like yeah. for, for our listeners um it's where you start on one rim. we start on the north rim or you can start on the top but we're starting on the north rim you hike down into the canyon across it and back out the other side to the south rim yeah, so there's a... i've been there's an amazing doc once the strike is resolved. I encourage people yeah. to check out. Um, but where they do that and, and 
you can watch the whole thing and it's just I, that good for you. I, Thank you. I was out there a couple of years ago and, and I haven't been out there since I was 10 years old. And it's just like nothing more awe inspiring, I think, in, in, that I've seen in my life. Yeah, I, I have been once before and it was just like via a car though like you yeah. drive in and like take pictures on on the edge and like and i remember being like oh this is this is very grand you know, it is really big <laughs> it is a it's, grand it's really, canyon <laughs> it is yeah um it's tough to take in um so i'm really excited to go but back that hike and that is was crazy. that was like 20 years ago yeah, yeah so i'm excited to go back and, and really dig in and appreciate the natural the natural wonder of the world there awesome. um so that's but that's why i've been just a maniac hiking for the last few months just because i don't want i'm going in a group and I'm like, i will not be the hiker that is going to you know blow this whole thing apart by not being prepared or like well i hope you <laughs> lean in heavy to posting on social media about it because I, I would you. love to follow along on that that's that's ambitious i love it <laughs> thank you yeah and we're doing it one day people some people camp at the bottom of the canyon yeah. and hike back out but we're, we're doing one big one big push sure why not make it harder yeah uh, <laughs> yeah if you don't hear from me uh send help <laughs> no i'm just gonna sell this interview what are you talking about um <laughs> No, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate taking time um, for something you obviously could have ghosted me on and I wouldn't have too many hard feelings. So I, I appreciate no, it's it. it's totally fine. I, I'm so happy that we were able to do this. Um, and, and thank you for the opportunity because I, I do think it's important that people uh, know what we're doing and, and where we're coming from. And, and yeah, like I said, if, you can, if you're in a place to donate, please do. The Entertainment, Entertainment Community Fund uh, is the full name. I should correct that. Um, and uh and spread the word because i think we're, we're winning the battle of public opinion and i think it's very helpful yeah. well hopefully um, this nudges in, yeah. in that direction as well yeah and hopefully done soon and we get a fair deal and then i can get back to work yeah. i want to see this rom-com you're talking <laughs> stop, about i gotta stop yeah, yeah. and i gotta stop hiking because uh, i want my Saturday because it's back, the worst yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> well thank you so much uh, for taking my time. pleasure and i will uh i'll talk to you again hopefully all right really appreciate it justin thank you so much take care you and i have lots in common my request is sent would you like to be my friend would you like to be my friend all right you just listened to my interview with lizzie donaldson how cool was that we we, we connected via social media uh, just because she was into NA beers, I review NA beers and somehow that follow follow happened. And, um, I decided that, and let this be like a lesson for everybody. Uh, I, I'm always a little nervous about asking someone like someone in this circumstance to do the podcast. Cause they have no reason to, and it almost feels like I'm shining a flashlight or a spotlight, I guess. Why did I pick flashlight? <laughs> I'm shining a spotlight on like the fact that like, hey, we don't know each other, which, you know, runs the risk of ending that parasocial relationship and, you know, no responses or anything. Um, so I was, I was just thrilled that she agreed to do it. And it's such a, such an important time to hear from, um, the writers in this business. And I, I couldn't have, couldn't have been more happy with how it turned out and her stories. Oh, you know what I didn't get to ask her about though? On her IMDB credits, she has the good place on there. I was like, I want to know about that. Cause obviously I love that show. Um, but 
if you can, like she mentioned, the Entertainment Community Fund, donate if you can. I, as, as someone that would have been unemployed had I stayed in that business, uh, I definitely, like, I know, I know those people, man. Uh, you're on the bottom of the totem pole and you are out of work. And in the long run, I mean, you're out of work because people are striking for stuff that, like, ultimately affects you, you know? The, they're going to keep cutting staffing and cutting people, and that's going to affect those people that are cut right now eventually. And so definitely, if you can afford to, please donate and follow along, you know, see how things are going. Post, uh, post about it. Let people know you stand with WGA or SAG-AFTRA or whoever you want to stand with. Not whoever. You know. You know what side to pick. Well, I'm rambling. Season five is back, though. Guys, we're back. Five seasons. When the fuck did that happen? Holy shit. Uh, got a bunch of great interviews lined up. Um, a bunch of great interviews already recorded. I think I'm already recorded through November. Is that crazy? Yes. And I'm, I'm so excited that I got to start off with a bang with Lizzie. So, Lizzie, if you're listening to this, thank you uh, again. And good luck at the Grand Canyon. And you guys can follow along uh, Lizzie on social media. Maybe she'll post about her Grand Canyon adventures. That would be exciting. And you can find her at Donaldsor. That's right. It's like a dinosaur, but Donaldsor. That's in the show notes. And so is the link for the Entertainment Community Fund. All right. I will talk to you guys later. Have a super day. I'll see you next week. Thanks again. Love you. Bye-bye.